0: Hey everyone, Megan here. So thank you so much for tuning in to Let's Talk About It. And hey, if you are enjoying our podcast, could you please go do us a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating and review that would help others find our podcast. So that would be great. We would really appreciate that. Today we are going to be talking about evangelical purity culture and we're actually interviewing my friend Mary and hearing her experience and story. We'll be talking about the culture itself, modesty, the lasting effects, and how to heal from sexual sin. We hope you enjoy. Hey guys, welcome back to Let's Talk About It. My name is Megan and I am Jackie. And today we're actually talking to a good friend of mine, Mary. I think we've known each other since we were 6, is that right?
1: Yeah, I believe so.
0: We were really little. Um so yeah, we've been friends for a very long time. That don't they don't they say like after 7 years it's like a friend for life. So we've passed that monument.
1: Yeah, we definitely have. You're stuck with me. (laughs) So
0: whoopsies. Yeah. Anyways, today we are talking about purity culture. So for those of you who maybe didn't grow up in an evangelical context, strap in because today you're going to figure it out. And for those of you who did, I hope this brings a lot of validation and explanation. So Mary, before we get started, why don't you just real quick tell everyone a little about who you are?
1: Okay, um, my name is Mary. Like Megan said, we've been friends since we were very young. We met through homeschool things and um, grew up in a Christian context, evangelical context, um, very conservative. I was constantly being told that my body was sexual and I need to cover it up. So this was kind of the attitude that I grew up with, um, pastors, my parents, it was very much as a Christian girl, the thing I need to protect the most is my purity, meaning my virginity. Um, whether or not they meant to get that across, it's it's what came across to me. So this is the whole message I heard from as long as I can remember up through high school.
0: Yeah, um, and... I grew up in the same. (laughs) So we both have that experience in common. Um, So what do you now do? What are you studying? What are kind of your goals uh, for your future?
1: Currently, I am studying at Moody Bible Institute, a major called Ministry to Victims of Sexual Exploitation. So my goal is to work with survivors of sex trafficking. I am studying basically pre-counseling, social work, that has a focus on sexual trauma so Mm -hmm. my heart is for those who have also experienced different kinds of mixed and incorrect sexual messages Mm -hmm. and view themselves as broken in terms of their sexuality which I totally understand and um, have a huge heart for.
2: I for a while before I started Aid for Women and met Megan I worked at an organization called Emmaus Ministries. Have you heard of it? I have. Yeah, and it's for men that were victims of sexual exploitation and sex trafficking, and it was really interesting to see how just the ideas about sex and sex in our culture have damaged men, too, even though I know we'll be mostly talking about women. Um, Yeah, just that our culture has many mixed messages about sex and purity that have been really damaging. Yeah, definitely very
0: damaging for men and women across the board. Mm -hmm. So I know when you and I have talked about this topic um, and when we kind of were preparing for this and just kind of wrestling through our own thoughts, we kind of saw that there were a few different aspects of purity culture and how it has lasting effects. So we were kind of dividing this up with um, just the relationship between fathers and daughters, modesty, body image and then the lasting shame and trauma but before we get into all of that could you kind of explain for those who maybe don't know what is purity culture purity
1: culture is a hot topic right now in evangelical circles it's basically this idea that to be pure sexually you basically need to be a virgin up to the point that you get married and it kind of has this idea that women are sexual and men can't control themselves so it's all on the women's shoulders to make sure that they don't cause a brother to stumble which is one of the catchphrases Mm. it's extremely toxic and it's not healthy for men being told that you're a pig and you can't control yourself and for women little girls being sexualized way before they should um just not it's just not a good culture to raise children in
0: yeah and i know this really started as a movement in like really conservative protestant christianity and and you know it's it's always hard to have these conversations because i hear people saying that well it's not all bad right like it's you know, we we should, as Christians, be striving for for abstinence and chastity and for purity when it comes to, you know, our our sexuality. But I think the issues you're bringing up are exactly those, because it gets twisted and very legalistic in this culture. And so what starts maybe as a, a pure motive of wanting to strive for holiness turns into a way of viewing men and women incorrectly in a way that is disordered and twisted. And I know one of those ways that we've talked about is that men or that women are responsible for men's sexual sin, which is something you've brought up and that women should be ashamed of their bodies and that women shouldn't have sexual desire, that your virginity is your greatest worth, that sex before marriage will destroy your entire life. and that if women remain virgins until the day they marry a man, they're holy, and if not, they're damaged goods. Yeah. So to kind of go into the history of purity culture, you know, it really started in the 1990s, largely in like the Southern Baptist Convention, right? And That's when they launched their True Love Weights campaign, which was promoting sexual abstinence among youth. It went to conferences, concerts. There were like the purity pledges and all of that, right? And then in 97, a book was released called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and it promoted courtship instead of dating. And it's for anyone who's even remotely familiar with that book and the journey that it was on, Josh Harris, who wrote it later in life, went back on it and said, I was wrong. I disagree with the things I said. And then even just, even more recently, in I think 2019, apostatized mm-hmm. and said he's no longer even a Christian and he was divorcing his wife, whom he had courted. <laughs> so oh. I know you had ex- some experience with that. I know we both observed just the really controlling kind of relationship that the fathers have with daughters in this kind of culture. Could you maybe speak into what you observed with the idea of courtship in that kind of culture?
1: Definitely. Courtship was supposed to replace dating as like a more Christian, healthier, safer way to get to know somebody for the possibility of marriage. On paper, it sounds decent. Families involved. It's group things. It's protect, you know, what is that phrase that they always use? Guard your heart or whatever. (laughs) Um, Kind of like that idea of, you know, protecting yourself sexually and emotionally before you're ready to commit yourself to somebody. My parents were interested in the idea of courtship for a while. They liked the concept of families getting together and getting to know somebody that way. But you're never allowed alone. You're basically under your father's guidance and authority on it all. Somehow he has the final say in your love life, which is very interesting and something I completely disagree with. It's not really up to the dad to decide who you marry. (laughs) There's no ownership of father over daughter. And that's almost what they act like. That she's this thing that needs to be one. And the guy has to prove himself that he's worthy of it, which in some sense is okay. It's just that the dad is the ultimate judge of it. And I've read stories of girls getting proposed to at the dinner table with like both families there. Like because they've never been alone together before that point. How can you truly know somebody if you've never had one-on-one conversation with them? It's, It's a very interesting way to do it, but... They would argue that it's more biblical or safer,
0: I guess. Yeah, and I know you even just mentioning, too, the fact that, like, the father having, like, a very, very active controlling role in the daughter's love life. And I think we see this, especially in just the even tangible markings that you be- your sexuality and your virginity belongs to your father and the fact that he gives mm-hmm. you a purity ring. Mm-hmm. That he, you know, some of people even threw like a purity ball. Um, it's a daughter is making a formal commitment to purity culture and the father's vow to protect his daughter's purity. Yep. Um, and so I really... Think that this rigid gender norm is just that's characterized by the woman's being submissive and the man having authority is just really at the heart of a lot of very toxic evangelical culture mm-hmm. and purity culture definitely reinforces that structure and I think we've both even seen that play out of you know men in our lives who are in no way related to us and we're not dating thinking that they have some authority over us and authority over what we wear or how we act or what we do be just simply out of the fact that they're a man. Yeah, that's correct.
1: And I would say um, going back to the father having authority and the courting idea and women needing to protect their sexuality, that's a lot of where that came from is protecting the daughter's virginity at all costs as if we can't control ourselves it's demeaning (laughs) quite honestly and ultimately purity doesn't come from whether or not you've had sex before marriage it's an attitude of the heart and it's something between you and god i can be pure now despite the fact that i've done things Mm -hmm. that doesn't make me damaged goods Mm -hmm. despite what purity culture would say So I just think that's really interesting, like the the dad almost has to protect the daughter's sexuality. It's like the whole purpose of courting is to keep her from having sex,
0: (laughs) quite honestly. And demeaning to men as well, because once again, like men are viewed as animals who cannot control their Mm -hmm. sexual desire, that their sin is in their mind, and that they can't help themselves from lusting, and so God forbid that they're alone. And he doesn't have the distraction or the fear of the father being there. He'll just get totally carried away. And it's this idea that it's, yeah, it's very animalistic, that we're not human, that we don't um, have self-control. We don't have will. Right. <laughs> I think it's, deme- yeah, like you're saying, just demeaning towards both sexes.
2: Absolutely. As you guys are talking about this, I don't know, do you guys use the term chastity? No. No, we would use yeah it's kind of for us it's like an outdated term so i always learned like for me purity is just free from sin that's what we think of as the virtue of purity and then chastity is related to sexual sin and in like talking about chastity it's always been explained to me that chastity is like just the total like integration of like your sexuality with like with your worth as a human being. So when you see mm-hmm. the other person, when you're being chased, is you're seeing the other person as a person, not just an object. So chastity is like mm-hmm. the opposite of lust and like when you're actually loving someone. So the fact that like that can be integrated, that can be cultivated at any time. And actually in the wow. Catholic Church, the Catechism describes chastity as an ongoing process, an ongoing self-mastery and you grow in that virtue so it's something to be looked at as something with your partner to be built to like put those boundaries in place and to learn how to be chased together and the catechism actually even says that in chastity there are a lot of mistakes along the way so it's like this virtue that you're growing and it's not something that if you mess up, mess up and you're suddenly stained and you can in no way become holy or no it's just a part of the process of being human is that we mess up even in sexual Mm -hmm. ways I know that's not ideal but we have original sin so yeah the whole idea of purity is this thing that once you lose it you can never get it back is Mm -hmm. so damaging and also as I know you guys will touch on it's always put on the woman Mm -hmm. so even though I wasn't raised in, in an wasn't raised in an evangelical culture i was raised in america and that has seeped into all of our culture is that like you know like well what was she wearing when she got raped right. that's still an idea that we deal with today
0: well and i think too even just I, it's really important you brought that up because i think what purity culture has done is kind of um sabotage these terms and so even just replacing this idea of chastity with purity has then made it that it can be something that you lose that you are no longer pure and I even think of just it being synonymous with virginity which physically as a woman is changed after the first time you have sex and it's associating that with our spirituality which is why there's this idea that It's something that forever taints you, Mm -hmm. that even though with all other other sins, we believe Christ's blood washes us completely as, you know, white as snow, (laughs) when it comes to sexuality, there's still something there. You're still not a virgin. And so I think, um, you know, even as you're saying, like, well, if that's really the definition of what it means to be sexually pure does that mean we're not sexually pure in marriage? And I think that's why a lot of women carry this with them into marriage is Mm -hmm. that's not something that you can turn off. This idea that sex is only sinful, then when you're with your husband, you're going to struggle and it's going to be really hard for a lot of women. I know I've spoken to them to just kind of like take away a lot of that conditioning and brainwashing. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I think Jackie bringing up that difference between purity and chastity is really helpful and something that we should regain as evangelicals because like you said chastity is a like the process of sanctification you grow in it Mm -hmm. and that is way more helpful than telling a girl she is pure now but when she has sex she's not what (laughs) no where do you get that like that's not that's not scriptural that's not biblical um all of our sins were nailed to the cross with christ he washed it all away So telling somebody they're not pure after they've had sex before marriage, that's just, that's just incorrect. And it's just feeding into a bunch of lies that are extremely damaging.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, I know this is where it's going to get into, like, a touchy subject because everybody is very opinionated about this, but I want to talk about modesty. And here's the thing. Modesty is good. Like the Bible and God calls us to be modest. Um, and so I think it's more heartbreaking to me and angering how purity culture has twisted this virtue of modesty because it is something good to be stri- strived after. Um, but I think the modesty that purity culture promotes is not true biblical modesty. What, what is your opinion on that?
1: I would say the modesty that I was taught was strictly physical. So, purely what I wore, what you wear, or maybe even how you do your makeup, you can either be modest or not. So, if you show too much skin, you're immodest. If you wear too much makeup, you're immodest. If you cut your hair short, things like that, you know, that aren't typical for women, then you're being immodest somehow. If you wear flashy clothes, you're immodest. Um I think the one thing that was drilled into me over and over and over again as I was growing up is that showing too much skin. And if you show too much skin, you're asking for a guy to rape you. Like you're you're just sexualizing yourself and you're asking for it. And that's not what God wants. And you need to hide your body. So that's kind of like the attitude of modesty that I grew up with. And I agree that I don't think that's biblical. Like I said before, <laughs> with purity, modesty is more than just how you present yourself. It should be an inward reality that then comes out in the way that you dress, in the way that you act, in the way that you interact with others. It's, it's more than just, oh, I'm going to wear a shirt that is, you know, super high up or doesn't show any cleavage or wear pants that are loose, you know, things like that. And that I personally believe that modesty is very culturally bound
0: mm-hmm.
1: yep. especially mm-hmm. when in terms of clothing <laughs> one culture for example india christian women will wear saris that show their midriff that is perfectly modest there yeah. other cultures that would be very immodest to show your midriff it just it's very culturally bound there are some cultures that don't even wear shirts
0: <laughs> well and even don't like I tell you about that <laughs> just time period wise yes there was mm-hmm. a time where a woman's ankle was seen <gasps> as sexually Cut provocative ankles, or her knee. And nowadays we wouldn't think twice about seeing a woman's ankle or, you know, or a girl wearing sandals and having bare feet. We wouldn't be like shocked. Like, right. and so, yeah, I think it is rather, um, close minded to view our culture and our time period as being the one time in history that we've got it all right. And we know yes. what is modest, And we know what is um, appropriate to be godly. And I think Mm -hmm. what you're pointing out, too, is so important that it is an inward reality that is outward, the fruits of it are displayed. Mm -hmm. Because with all holiness, it really comes down to us and our relationship with God and us striving to be holy, to glorify God, and because we love him. And I think what was really enforced to us growing up was that as young women, being pure also meant being responsible for the boys and men around us. Mm -hmm. And so we had to carry ourselves in a way that would not tempt them to sin. It really was more of a focus on other people's sin, not even necessarily my own sin. What am I, you know, and and even if I would wear a shirt that was too tight, the assumption was that I was doing it for male attention. Mm -hmm. Right. And to tempt men. And because I wanted that. Right. It was never, maybe I didn't even think of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and also people's own personal standards were so different. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had men that were upset that I would wear a tank top and they could see my shoulder. And I'd <gasps> have other men Those that didn't scandals. care. shoulders. Exactly. And so it really was, you know, I would stress and stress about modesty. But it never was about, am I doing this to glorify God? It was all about is this going to tempt the guys? Is this going to cause them to sin? Is Also, is it going to make them look at me and lust after me? That makes me feel yucky. That makes me feel like an object. Mm-hmm. I don't want that. And it was, yeah, it's always communicated that it's it's to prevent others' sin, not our own. <laughs> right.
2: I just had a thought on modesty. I like how you were saying that modesty of clothing is very culturally bound because i saw like a comment on a video where they were talking about modesty and someone was saying no it is culturally bound and someone was saying you're making the virtue of modesty very subjective by saying that but that's not what we're saying the actual inner virtue of modesty is the same but how it's played out in each culture is different correct so i don't like when people say that to be a good Christian there are very strict guidelines like actually Christianity the Bible has not given us a dress code dress code that happens in other religions like in Islam and other countries but not in Christianity so yeah throughout cultures it's different and on the beach what is modest is not what is modest when you go to church Mm -hmm. even contextually when it comes to clothing but also modesty is so much more than just what clothes you're wearing it's your inner disposition it's how you see yourself before God. It's your mindset of why you're wearing this clothing. If you're wearing clothing that has you buttoned up to your neck, but you're thinking, I am so much more modest than all the other girls in this church. Guess what? That's not modesty. That's pride. Yes. Yeah.
0: And I always think back. So people always bring up the passage in, oh boy, is it Timothy that talks about um, that women are supposed to be modest. Right. And, I always like challenge people because a lot of times they don't actually know the passage. They just mm-hmm. reference it. But when Paul is talking there, he is addressing jewelry and their hair being braided. And so I'm like, well, hmm, I've never once had someone tell me that my hair being braided was immodest or sexual or that the fact that I was wearing like two necklaces not just one was something scandalous. So what's going on here? And it's that in that culture, braiding your hair and wearing all this jewelry was flaunting your wealth. And so the way they were being immodest was, like Jackie, you were saying, being prideful, boasting about their wealth and trying to make themselves look better than other women and put themselves over other women. And I just think about all of the times where this legalistic culture has created in us a sense of entitlement and a sense of like, look at me, look at me, I'm so holy when that is not a modest heart at all and i think one of the problems is that we
1: confine modesty to sexuality yeah. when in fact it applies to all areas of our life like you were saying they were flaunting wealth it wasn't sexual they were it was a prideful attitude that they were portraying through their dress mm-hmm. and trying to confine modesty simply to sexuality is so wrong and it's extremely damaging as
0: I know from personal experience. Yeah. Would you be willing to share maybe because I know you and I have personally talked about how a lot of the modesty that was reinforced to us really affected our body image and kind of put some issues (laughs) in us. Would you be willing to share some of that?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, I think the first time I ever felt insecure about my body, I was around age 12, okay, and I had had years of church telling me that as a woman, I need to cover myself, and as a girl, a little girl, I'm being told this, that I can't wear certain clothes because that's sexual. So I've, I've, I grew up with that, kind of like sexualizing little girls' bodies, and then There was a situation that happened where it kind of hit me of like, I don't think I'm pretty enough. And that thought coincided with being told that my body was something I had to cover. So I developed this shame around my body, something that I didn't want to see and I didn't want anybody else to see. And that played a lot into the clothes that I chose and then not feeling beautiful in those because I wasn't dressing for my body. I wasn't trying to see the beauty in it at all because Mm -hmm. God created the human body. God created the female body. It is beautiful. And I Mm -hmm. think it's okay to admit that without turning it lustful and without turning it into something strictly sexual. Although the female body is sexual because human bodies are sexual. (laughs) It's just something we have to admit and accept. So as I got older, this deep sense of shame around my body increased I was a late bloomer, so I didn't get my period till I was 15, so that means I did not develop any curves, I had tons of acne, and I just was this awkward, lanky, 12-year-old little boy. Okay, that's a lie. I looked like, I thought I had a little boy's body because I just did not look like a woman, and all my friends were starting to develop and become beautiful young women, and I was this... Awkward kid who just couldn't seem to do that. I thought something was wrong with me. It wasn't. I'm fine. (laughs) But that continued to play into this idea that my body is a bad thing. And I felt very disconnected from my body. I didn't see my body as a gift from God. I saw it as this evil thing that I needed to manipulate and control. And I used to lay in bed at night and try to think about okay, if I was already at plastic surgery, what would I change? And I would change pretty much everything about myself. That began to develop into an eating disorder where I needed to control my weight because along with the shame, there came this almost like a body dysphoria. When I looked in the mirror, I did not see what everybody else saw. I saw myself as fat, and I've never been fat growing up. Megan can attest to that. I've been a twig, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's not what I saw. Because I was constantly being told by my church that my body was bad. I was being told by my mother, who I look just like, through her basically criticizing her own body, Mm -hmm. being told that my body is not beautiful, my body is messed up, it's broken, it's it's not like other girls' bodies. Um, All these messages coming together to make me feel the need to control it so then that turned into lots of restricting it turned into um obsession with working out or purging i was never diagnosed with anorexia i was never diagnosed with bulimia i would say i had disorder eating because it kind of fell all the way across the spectrum Um, as i grew in my faith and grew closer to jesus things got easier um But the obsession with working out got really intense. Trying to change my body by working out and by running, by Pilates, all the things I could to try to sculpt my body and never feeling satisfied with the results. And still being told that I had to cover my body because it was something to be ashamed of. All throughout high school, my parents were like, don't wear leggings, don't wear skinny jeans, don't wear tight shirts. I have no cleavage whatsoever because I'm like, a double A (laughs) process, like I'm tiny, but being told that I can't wear certain shirts because they're too low, I'm literally showing nothing. Something, a shirt that would be immodest for somebody else is not really for me. And, but getting frustrated because people are trying to make an objective stance on something that's so subjective. Um, And taking modesty and placing it purely in clothing or my sexuality. So a lot of this just struggle with my own body and sexuality and modesty, what does that even mean, led to a lot of confusion later on. On is sex good? Is it bad? Is my body good or is it bad? And not understanding that the body is a beautiful gift from God and trying to reintegrate myself with my body, um, which is very hard thing to do when you've been told over and over and over again that your body almost that you're separate from your body and your Mm -hmm. body's bad
0: yeah i really it really thank you for sharing that and for your and for being vulnerable um because i'm sure you're not the only one (laughs) with a story like that and i know it's just yeah it's very much reinforced that for women the root of our sin is in our body Mm -hmm. and for men the root of their sin is in their mind their mind causes them to lust, whereas for us, our body causes others to lust. And when you've been told or communicated to that your body is your source of sin, I don't know how you don't disconnect from your body because it's hard to see yourself, your body, as being part of who you are. Instead, mm-hmm. it's a burden. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a shell that you're trapped in. That you can't escape from that's causing harm to you. And that would like I think just even saying that, anyone listening would say, well, of course, that would lead to mental health problems and struggles with how to even, you know, function within a body. And I think that's a lot of times not the intent, but definitely the outcome and the and the purveying effect that purity culture has on a lot of women
1: yeah definitely and even that you're saying like the body's a shell that's bad and the spirit is what's really you and you're separate from your body it makes me think of Gnosticism Mm -hmm. and that was denounced as a heresy and yet we're still trying to believe something like that today
2: (laughs) what's really interesting the way that you speak about how you felt like your body and spirit were disintegrated that you were totally separate from your body is i don't know if you've read any of theology of the body um by saint john paul ii but he talks about how which i think i kind of touched on this when talking about chastity but lust is seeing the other person as just their body and not seeing their spirit so when we were in the garden though the reason we could be naked naked is that we could see the other person as just as a body soul composite what we actually are and you could see both so that you didn't um, objectify them and lustfully seek after them. So it's really interesting that in an attempt to discourage lust, <laughs> we've done the same thing that lust does, which is see someone as just a body and not a body soul uh, composite, which is really sad and see, shows how Satan can twist, you know, good, trying to do good, and in some way, also just harm women and harm the way that we look at our bodies and men that they think that they can't control themselves, which is really unfortunate. And yeah, thank you also for sharing about your eating disorder. I also struggled with an eating disorder in high school. Um, mine was more influenced by the ultra sexual I don't nature of like our secular culture. So it's really sad that women were attacked on both sides from our Christian culture and the secular culture. That we're just, in the end, it feels like we just hate our bodies and our bodies are not good. Right. And you can't blame that on social media. Mm-mm. That's something that women have been struggling with Exactly
1: forever. Mm-hmm. I grew up without social media. Mm. I did not get Facebook till I was I want to say I was a senior in high school. So I didn't have those influences of constantly comparing myself. Yeah, I watched movies and stuff. What I was comparing myself to was this perfect standard of the modest, pure, whatever, girl that supposedly is like the ultimate Christian girl. And then my friends. That's all I had to compare it to. And yet I still struggled with an eating disorder. And I still struggled with viewing myself as ugly and not enough. And all the typical lies that girls are still feeling today but maybe even more so because of social media but i would say it's always been there and Mm -hmm. yeah satan will attack you from both sides
2: (laughs) so sad women we never get a break no
0: (laughs) yeah and i think too even just um we've like laughingly talked about chastity talks where we were compared to crumpled up paper A rose that had petals ripped off of it and was stomped on. And it was all under the guise of this is you after you have premarital sex. And as women, it was really seen as our modesty, our purity. All of these things is tied to being a desirable wife. And so it's not even just who we are as women that's being attacked. It's you won't be wanted you're not valuable and no one will make you a wife, which is your ultimate goal in life. Of course, you know, because that's what's communicated to you is that that's essentially where you receive salvation is you can finally live free of this, you know, control and um, and that shame and that trauma lingers on, I think.
1: Yeah. Can you imagine having a former prostitute step into your church and hear a sermon about How you're a crumpled up rose if you have sex before marriage, Mm -hmm. or if you're sexually impure,
0: or someone who's a victim of sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. or rape, or any sort of even sexual harassment, or someone who's made a mistake, Mm -hmm. or was manipulated, or you know, hasn't been a Christian their entire life. I think it's, it's so damaging to put this sin on par with something that could destroy us forever mm-hmm. and make us n- never be valuable or wanted ever again. Yeah.
2: And what that does to women, and I've seen, is that they fall in some way. They have sex. However, the circumstances that led to that, and then they're like, well, I'm screwed. I'm stained, whatever. Might as well just keep doing it, which is so anti the gospel, Because Jesus came to redeem, to restore. And whether you look at it from a Catholic or Protestant context, if you repent in some way and have a forgiveness for your sins, like Jesus is just ready to forgive you and restore you and wipe that clean. And like Megan and I always say this, sexual sin is the one sin, especially for women, because it doesn't seem to be the same for men, that you're stained in some way if you mess up. And that's just, that's not what Jesus says. No. And I can speak from experience. There is healing from it.
1: Yeah, You can heal. It takes a lot of work combating those lies that you're told, that you're all of a sudden worth nothing, that you're dirty. Mm -hmm. I felt dirty. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel like I could ever be washed clean. I didn't want to come to God because I didn't think I could. Mm -hmm. No. I sin every day and God still opens his arms wide to me. Mm -hmm. This sin is no different yes it has some very major it could have some very major repercussions i think there are some severe spiritual repercussions of it Mm -hmm. but you can work through it and there is forgiveness for it and i have felt so much peace and so much healing Mm -hmm. come out of it and my relationship with god has gotten so much deeper but it's really hard when you're in a Christian context and you're constantly being told that you can't do that, that there's you can't be wiped clean from this, that all of a sudden you're damaged and that's it. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to combat
0: those lies. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to kind of, you know, bring this full circle is how have you found redemption and healing as you've kind of um, been more separate from this culture and even just had your own experiences with God? How have you found healing from this? So I think one of the important things
1: was being removed from the culture and studying scripture for myself to see what it actually says about modesty and purity. And when I got to Bible college and did a bunch of my own study, I kind of realized modesty in terms of how we view it in terms of clothing is like never talked about in the Bible. It's not restricted to that. And there's, it's just not something God talks about. I think it's something that comes naturally when we are trying to glorify God with our bodies. We're not trying to walk around and objectify ourselves. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing, is just being removed from the culture. The other thing was studying the Bible. Um, I would also say just a deeper understanding of who Jesus is and his love for me. And just knowing that literally everything, like I said earlier, is just nailed to the cross. I don't need to carry those burdens with me. Um, I was also blessed with some very supportive people in my life. God used some incredible people who had a lot of wisdom to help me work through some of these issues. I've also, practically speaking, found nutrition help and things like that to help me with my eating. And I went to a counselor to help me with the the mental (laughs) blocks. I still struggle with some of them. It's going to be a long struggle. But it's just realizing first it was an issue, it was a problem, was huge. And then actually seeking professional help was very, very good for me in terms of healing. And specifically, I think the Holy Spirit ultimately (laughs) is the one that brought me the most healing I did not really experience any healing until I was able to accept that God still loves me and that was only through the prompting of the Holy Spirit because I was condemning myself conviction is from the Holy Spirit condemnation is from me I condemn myself and so just Maybe that's a cop-out. Maybe not. (laughs) Really, the Holy Spirit had to be the one to tell me, it's okay, Mary. It's okay. Just still come. And once I just opened myself up to that, that's when real healing started spiritually. So, yeah.
2: That's beautiful. And I definitely agree with conviction is from the Holy Spirit. And I always say condemnation, that's straight from the devil. Mm. He wants you to think I cannot be forgiven. I cannot be saved. I'm just going to give up. (laughs) I can't go to God and I'm done. And that's just not how it works. And I think of the prodigal son that after everything he had done, when he came back, the father was not there like saying, you did this, you did this, you did this. So here's all these consequences. He was like, no, I'm so glad to see you. And that is exactly how God feels when we come back from any sin. Mm -hmm. Any sin can be forgiven if we, you know, open ourselves to God's mercy and healing is so possible no matter what. I mean, the resurrection, Jesus was dead and then he rose from the dead. We, the same thing is there for us because of his resurrection. No matter what we've done, you know, we can rise and Jesus can, you know, he has wiped us clean.
1: Yes, and there's that story in the gospels of the woman caught in adultery. Mm -hmm. I love this story because Jesus confronts those that are condemning her Mm. and it makes me think of (laughs) some of the very legalistic elders and church people that I grew up with who if they knew what I've done would condemn me the same way but Jesus tells them you know whoever is without sin throw the first stone pretty soon everybody's gone Mm -hmm. and it's just her and God and it's like well where'd they go Is anyone left to condemn you and she's like no and he tells her to stand up and sin no more and that was something that was really huge for me is that he didn't just tell her okay go on your way bye no sin no more so after recognizing that I am not condemned taking that to heart and using that thankfulness and praise to do my very best not to do it again but I just, I think that story is so beautiful.
0: Yeah. And it's like, Jackie, what you were saying earlier too, it's, if this is a sin that I can never come back from, well, what's the point in striving for more sanctification in this area once I mess up? And, and yet in that story, we see, know that Jesus will always pick us up back up and tell us, go sin no more, <laughs> run to Jesus with all of your sin. And he, there is forgiveness. And then he will call you to more holiness. And so I think that's such a beautiful example there. Well, thank you for your vulnerability and sharing your story. Um, you know, and and we say we say all of this not to um, like bash Christian culture or, you know, say that Christianity is bad because clearly all three of us are Christians. So, <laughs> but I think I think it's important to call these things out to the light because a lot there is a lot of shame and darkness in this specific area and a lot of people either don't have the words to talk about it or don't have the safe space to talk about it. So I think it, it is really important that we talk about